0: even sitting here today, probably more than half, maybe more than two thirds of stores out there have not implemented any significant sort of online e-commerce capabilities. They may have added phone delivery, they may have added some sort of curbside, but they really, through fear, through lack of knowledge, through just not wanting to change how things have been done, aren't making those moves, and that's a huge growing threat for them. You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito.
1: Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Pod. I'm so happy to be here and introduce this fantastic conversation that I had with Mike Province, who's the CEO of Three by Three. And Mike has a lot of experience in business in general. He has helped companies in healthcare, financial services, manufacturing, grow and scale their businesses. And he also is a marketing master. So 3x3 actually serves the liquor industry, both liquor brands, retailers, and also distributors, hence the name 3x3. And he has a lot of fascinating perspectives on how this particular category has been impacted by COVID, new consumer behaviors that have emerged and will continue to evolve and uh also some of the nuances of this whole decision making process and how data and insight can really help brands better understand and serve consumers based on these nuances so a really fascinating conversation i would say even if you're not in this little pocket of the larger retail world still a lot of fantastic takeaways that all brand executives and marketers can apply. So with that, Mike has a lot to say on the topic. I felt like we could have gone on and on, but this chat, I think, will give you a great place to start to build out your marketing plans
0: for the new year.
1: Mike, great to have you on the show. Thanks so much for taking the time.
0: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to uh, talk with you today.
1: Yeah, so 3x3's mission and primary solution, 3x3 Grow, is frankly fascinating, and I think we have a lot to dig into today. But first, I want to start with you, because you have a very extensive history in helping businesses scale and grow and you also have a lot of marketing experience, but what I find most fascinating about your bio, so to speak, is that you have worked in a lot of different sectors from healthcare to financial services and, and even manufacturing. What brought you to the beverage and alcohol industry?
0: Well, one of the common themes to my history, as you put it, is that I focused on helping companies through digital transformations, whether that was in the early days of the internet or today dealing with a lot more complexity, but a lot more power behind digital. And as I've done that, I've found myself working in companies and industries that are either trying to catch up or find themselves in a very heavily regulated environment where digital transformation has a lot more challenges tied to it. So for example, early on in my career, Uh, helped launch the first auto insurance underwriting platform online. And you can imagine that had lots of challenges tied to it. I've worked in healthcare, trying to bring real-time claims handling, taking things from weeks and months down to days. And so when I ran across the 3 by 3 team, and actually the predecessor to it that was in digital rebates, the interest for me was yet another industry where it was struggling with both leapfrogging the current status quo and also dealing with the fact that there's a three-tier system in alcohol and that posed its own set of problems to to transforming the way consumers engage with companies. So that's kind of what brought me here. And I, I've been excited to be a part of this now for a couple of years.
1: Yeah. And I'm glad you kind of brought up that connected thread around digital transformation, right? Because now that you break it down, I'm like, oh, that actually does make sense because healthcare, financial services, and in this case, the alcohol industry, I'm sure there has been a bit of catch up to be done, especially in these times, right? And I'm sure we'll get into that. But first, I do want to break down three by three, the mission, audience, because I know the name is based on the three tiers of the liquor industry, right? So it's producers, distributors, retailers. And then there's that connecting point of like the last three feet of the customer journey. So there are a few layers, I think, that kind of tell the story of 3x3's mission. So why don't you break down how, how these two points kind of come together for a, a cohesive value proposition,
0: so to speak? Absolutely. So from day one, our focus has been about the way in which consumer psychology works in buying alcohol. And and that tied largely to the fact that when you look at this industry, and when I speak about that, it's a $260 billion industry in the U.S., $3 trillion worldwide. Of that $260 billion, about half kind of pre-COVID, but about half was devoted to bottle sales through off-premise locations like package Liquor Stores, Grocery, Big Box, you know, all of that. And the other half, restaurant and bar. So on that off-premise side, for decades of this industry, the independent retailer has been kind of an add on to the way that the industry measured consumer buying behavior. That is, they took their data from the grocery, the big box, the Walmarts, and places like that. And with all of the transformation that's been coming, the way in which consumers engage in shopping for products has been changing with the Amazonification of the industry and essentially the continued fight that the main street liquor store has to have to try to push back against what's called the big box growth in the market. That begins with the fact that the one place where people can go to discover new products and to really fully explore their buying opportunities in alcohol happens in packaged liquor. It's why brands introduce new products there. It's why You see kind of a proliferation of different models of liquor stores in different states and across the country. Those liquor stores carry two, three, five times the number of SKUs that a grocery store or another big box does, and they carry more varied products, which gives a lot more buying opportunity to consumers. That became the nexus of what we were fascinated with is how do we, A, help the independent channel, help the independent retailer. And also help the independent craft brands make themselves prominent, make themselves relevant, make themselves very present in the digital shelf of kind of where this industry is heading, given that they don't have the budget, they don't have the power, they don't have the data to do that on their own. And so we began by first collecting the data, we began to understand what's actually leaving the store, what are people buying, what's right in the baskets data that had never before been collected from the independent channel, from the independent liquor store. But realizing very quickly that what the retailers and brands wanted and needed was a way to act on it. We heard over and over, we have all the data we need, or we, have, we don't have enough people to deal with all the data we have or that you have, but we want you to do something with it. Help us drive sales, help us drive market share, help us grow the business. And that's how our business kind of evolved from being about the three tiers, being about brands, distributors, retailers, but really being about the consumer psychology of how do they make their choice when they're standing at the shelf, they're standing at the checkout and what's driving that and how do we help the brands and the retailers meet the demands and needs of consumers who are increasingly educated and smart about products that are out there that are available to them.
1: Yeah, because there is so much variety, as you alluded to in your response. And we'll kind of get into some of the new realities, especially amid COVID, the shift to digital. But first, I do want to bring up your point, dig a little bit deeper into it around data, because obviously it's currency for all businesses today, right? Um, Especially in retail, we're having more conversations about why it's critical to have not just that constant stream of data and customer insight, but be equipped to act on it because consumer behaviors are changing so rapidly now. But there's also that demand to be more exact, pointed and precise in that application of data, right, for campaigns, for engagement across channels. So how does 3x3 grow, which is powered by 3x3, help address this imperative for liquor retailers or or maybe even just all players in this space?
0: That's a great question. The nature of data in this space has historically been trade-in data, the data that distributors are selling to the retailers, what bottles are moving through the system. And the industry has oriented itself to thinking about demand and data in that way. And so there's reams and reams and reams of data on shipments of products that move from brand to distributor, distributor to store. And that has forever been the way that brands plan new product, how they planned marketing, how they plan to engage customers in different markets. But what it leaves out is the fact that a lot of that product ends up sitting on shelves in the stores where nobody actually knows really accurately which products are popular. And and more importantly, But when you look at it from a bottle perspective, you look at it, a category perspective, you're looking at, well, how much beer did we sell? How much whiskey did we sell? How much wine did we sell? Consumers don't shop that way, right? Consumers shop for a, a basket mix. And for some of them, that might just be spirits. But for others, it's a mix of wine and beer or wine, beer, and spirits. And the retailers are stuck in that middle of trying to plan for inventories that flow in by category and yet have the right merchandising, the right mix of products, the right shelf sets to serve consumers who are not thinking by category. They're thinking by taste. They're thinking by preference. And so for us, our focus in collecting that data was not to just extend the measure from what flowed into the retailer and be able to say, okay, well, this many cases of beer flowed out. It was to change the thinking in the industry to say, if we look at this from the consumer point of view first and then work backwards to which products should be flowing into the stores and give the store owners more power in making those decisions, then the brands and the store owners are aligned on their goals because the brands only want to produce product that consumers ultimately are going to drink. They don't want product that sits in their warehouses as much as the retailers don't want product collecting dust on their shelves. So we began to look at that problem by understanding the baskets and looking at okay, what do people buy, and how do those baskets change over time? And the trends at an aggregate level in data for stores on a weekly sales basis, excepting for the March to July window this year, have been very consistent. Right, you can plan very consistently around holidays. You can plan consistently around summer vacations and and the like. And even with COVID, after July 4th, things started to be returning to normal patterns in aggregate. It gets interesting when you actually look inside the aggregate and you say, okay, well, what is popular? What are people drinking now? And how is it shifting? And frankly, it's shifting so quickly that if you don't have a way to look at that, you can barely get very quickly get behind the competition, whether you're a store or a brand and being able to deliver the right product to the consumer.
1: Yeah. So to piggyback off of that point, changing behaviors throughout the duration of, in some areas, the first wave of COVID. We've also seen just some general shifts in behaviors, researching, purchasing, especially that that significant surge or shift to online. I think that, that was present across the retail realm, but I know I, I did see some more pointed research for the liquors and spirits space specifically, how there was an uptick in online sales in that regard. But I have to ask, I mean, what trends are you seeing kind of shake out in this category as we start to adapt, figure out a strategic path forward at the business level, but then also just kind of understanding that this is an ever-changing reality. Some areas are going through another wave right now, and we don't really know how things are going to shake out right now. Are there any key pointed trends that you think are most critical right now?
0: Well, I think it's important to put a historical context on that question because, Consumers had been going through a digital transformation around alcohol purchase months and years before the waves of COVID have hit. What they weren't seeing was responsiveness from the industry itself, right? This goes back to my comment earlier about finding the industries that are regulated and are slow to transform. This space hadn't been thinking it was important. If you go look pre COVID, online purchase of alcohol through stores. Not so setting aside aggregators like Drizzly or vino or places like that, online purchase through stores was under five percent in most stores. A progressive, really solid retailer made to do as much as seven or eight percent, and then overnight, for that kind of three month, four month window, that those numbers jumped up to forty and forty five percent. But that was a short term anomaly in the process, and even with the new waves, even with the unpredictability of COVID coming, I still believe that those numbers are going to drop back down below 20, 25%. And the reason for that is people can put up with just buying what's available for a short period of time. But eventually, you know, one of the exciting elements of this industry is, and the one thing that makes it different, frankly, from other CPG is that it is not a necessity and this is an industry of of opportunity and an industry of convenience, meaning when I go to buy wine or I go to buy a spirit, I'm making a choice because it's a gives me some sort of personal benefit. I don't need it to live. I don't need it to go about my day. I can make it without it. but the opportunities there call for me to be able to fill a need and people's psychology really is individual and unique and therefore that sense of discovery will continue to come back. And that discovery has to happen by going in stores. The technology is evolving, but the technology today is not there for people to discover new products, alcohol products, through online search engines, through catalog websites, through any online engagement with shopping. What we're seeing there is data where people are just buying what shows up high on the list. I talked to to one retailer who said on the website for the store, 60, 70% 60, 70% of all their wine purchases occur with wines that either start with the number or the letter A, because people are not taking the time to filter, not taking the time to search. They're just going till they see something they recognize. And that is a behavior of consumers, but that's a behavior of consumers operating out of this, not really necessity, but operating out of a sense of panic buying or desperation and just wanting to get something, right? Satisficing if you will. But that will start to change back as stores begin to be more able to combine online selling, online presence with in-store traffic. Now, and even curbside, right? Curbside, unlike online shopping, curbside is not going to go away in the short run because people still may not want to go into the store, but they want that engagement with the store, right? They don't want to pay the extra delivery fees, or even if they did, They want to be able to add to their sale when they're sitting at the store and they can engage with that shop owner. They want some of that old discovery magic of the liquor store back. So I think you're going to see as a biggest trend, online shopping from stores to drop down. Now, I think you'll still see growth in the aggregator market as people are kind of shifting their behaviors the same way that you or I may shop at a liquor store for one reason, but shop at a walmart or a target or a total wine for a different reason and so even the same person can have different buying behaviors based off purpose or occasion and that's there's plenty of trends still happening with the brands but right now the biggest trend in the brand side is a move back toward mainstream brands that people recognize because they're in this mode of shop for what i can find quickly and easily and not worry about is it precisely what i want Got
1: it. And then, so number one, fantastic stuff in there, Mike, that I I do want to dig a little bit deeper into. But my second point is, I guess, more of a follow-up question for the retailers specifically. So I totally agree with your point around how a lot of the times we just have an immediate need or we just say like, oh, I'm out running an errand. Like I might as well just like run to the liquor store because I don't have anything, right? It's just kind of something that is likely done in context of the day. So obviously, brick and mortar retail is still very important in this space, but are there any implications, I guess, for those local, you know, smaller liquor stores? Like I'm thinking about the one that's like right down the block from me, right? Um, Who maybe doesn't have the infrastructure to stand up their own e-commerce site or maybe doesn't want to, right? Or isn't quite sure how to stand up Curbside. I mean, that hit to Main Street has been a very significant plot point, for lack of a better term, in retail. But there are also some glimmers of innovation, right? Some exciting things that you're kind of referring to. So, I mean, are there any new challenges that these smaller retailers need to respond to? Or any opportunities that they may have to adapt and respond, you know, kind of capitalizing on on some of those opportunities and innate behaviors that you were just talking about.
0: There absolutely are. And what, what I would say, first and foremost, is that irrespective of COVID, retailers needed to be changing the Main Street mom and pop corner store, they all needed to be moving toward digital as a way of creating demand generation, creating customer traffic for their stores. And the ones who are for three years, our message to the retailers has been, if you don't get on board with understanding how digital fits in, how data fits in, how online fits into your strategy, three years from now, Amazon or a company like that is going to wipe out this mom-and-pop local neighborhood environment unless they start building the infrastructure to support it for themselves, because we've seen that industry after industry after industry. So there's been a moral imperative on this for years. This has been the kind of event or the impetus to wake them up and say that they need to. But even still, even sitting here today, probably more than half, maybe more than two-thirds of stores out there have not implemented any significant sort of online e-commerce capabilities. They may have added phone delivery. They may have added some sort of curbside, but they really, through fear, through lack of knowledge, through just not wanting to change how things have been done, aren't making those moves. And that's a huge growing threat for them. And it's not a costly endeavor to embark on. It really just requires... It's change management, right? It's the hardest things humans have to face is how do we transform ourselves? And that's what is being called for because it's not the store that has to change. It's actually the store owner that has to be willing to change. And if they don't see a reason to make the adjustment, a reason to make the investment, that store is going to still be on the long tail of stores in the way it performs. When you look at progressive ones, Many of them have been doing it for years and many of them now are thinking about how do I use this opportunity, this t- point in time to be even more of a presence, be even bigger in what, what I'm able to do for my community and my neighborhood and expand that. So it is possible. We see it every day with plenty of stores out and we're in 37 different states and we see progressive retailers across the country that are figuring it out and even they still struggle with the notion that i need to bring consumers in to my store in a proactive way like the days of circulars and the days of news advertising and billboards driving traffic to my store is just a bygone era of marketing so last year at i can't remember which conference but the president of diageo north america was asked about Digital transformation for the brand, and she said this past year, 2019 or I guess 2018 and at the time, they were seventy percent traditional marketing, thirty percent digital, and she was flipping it to seventy percent digital, thirty percent traditional overnight because even the brands have woken up to the fact that consumers buy differently today.
1: Yeah, I'm so glad you made that marketing connection, because if you do want to drive demand, if you do want to get that store traffic, you need to reach people through the channels and the tactics that they're using that are integral to their day to day. So you talked about the shift to digital from from a marketing standpoint, and obviously that's where data comes into play. But are, are there any other ways that the rules of marketing have changed for this particular category of the retail world? Because I know it, it does really vary, like what's effective and what's not at a category level. So I'd love to hear your take on, on what's really trending and what's working well for not just the retailers, but even the brands.
0: Sure, sure. I mean, tactically, there's going to be variations in how to do it. But the reality is the biggest change in marketing in this space is the notion that you have to meet customers where they are. Right. I mean, brands and retailers for years, for decades, have depended on a model that is we're going to plan kind of in aggregate new products and we're going to test those products and then we're going to push them into the market and people will walk in stores and buy them. And the rest of the retail world had started to recognize that you have to be able to localize and target and reach. Consumers early in their journey, and kind of shepherd them through that journey, so that the outcome you want as a brand, or the outcome you want as a retailer, is the same outcome that consumer wants, and and that's the core of what we do. But that change is a change that's just starting to be recognized in this industry in any serious sort of way. That there's still the model of do brand awareness nationally at the top of the funnel, let the fun you know let the consumer do their work through the building the consideration sets and making the shopping determination and make sure the retailer's got the product on the back end. And you're starting to see that shift. You're starting to see distributors bring in digital procurement systems that provide more precision around and more timeliness around data because that has been another historically determinant element of this industry is data would be 45, 60 days late. So by the time you saw a change in the trend, it was too late to act. So brands are collecting more data to help them respond more quickly. I think it's one of the reasons you saw a proliferation, frankly, of brand extensions into all these flavors. And you continue to see that as an ongoing trend, whether it's spirits with variations of flavors or the extension of spirits into sparkling drinks, into flavored sparkling drinks, That is being driven by changes in consumer buying behavior. Millennials drink less, on average, many studies have shown, than older adults. And so now it's become more of a a selection of products that meet my consumer demand for the kind of products that I want to drink, rather than I'll just take what's available from the different category choices. So I think there is a fundamental behavioral shift in consumers that both retailers and brands have woken up to. And now they're trying to get the tools in place to be more responsive to that.
1: Excellent. So let's get into the heart of how 3 by 3 is helping the three tiers of companies accomplish that. Because there are a few different layers, I think, to your business that are fascinating, specifically around predictive marketing and just being able to help them get closer to the customers like you were talking about. So can you kind of break down the ins and outs, so to speak, of how you help all these different companies better adapt and respond to all of the shifts in behaviors that we've been talking about today?
0: Certainly. And I think what we do is, as I've said tied to the data tied to understanding what's happening in the markets and so where we see a starting point to helping whether it's a brand or a retailer is understanding that for example that we're seeing big swings in the mix of categories in baskets and frankly with beer sales slowing down over the past year we're seeing liquor stores have to completely rethink shelf sets and they need data to help drive that thinking and we we see brands thinking about how do i adjust my core product to meet a wider variety of needs and they need data to be able to understand that we bring a sliver of that to the table which is pointing at the kinds of behaviors and shopping profiles that consumers have when they come in the independent liquor store and give that as a foundation to help those brands and help those retailers reach the right audiences so As a business, we take all that data and we build unique audiences that we can localize around liquor stores to be able to drive localized demand based off the national goals that a brand might have. So, for example, we're working with a large beer manufacturer to move traffic in the Midwest, but rather than do that from the point of view of awareness, we're helping them pinpoint the parts of the Midwest markets they want to reach. And drop very poignant content targeting a specific audience that has been designed around the buying patterns of the stores from the data we have from the stores to curate the right audience and deliver the right results that way. So think of it as taking all the investments these brands make at a national level and giving them a way to further extend the value by taking it local, taking it down to Main Street and delivering it.
1: Love it. So fascinating. Because, I mean, now that I'm kind of having this conversation with you, Mike, and kind of walking through the different layers, I know I personally have different behaviors depending on not just when I'm shopping, but also why I'm shopping, right? I mean, I'm thinking about it of like holidays or maybe my in-laws are stopping by and I want to pick up a bottle of wine, like the ultimate decision-making Does have an added layer of context. So I could imagine, you know, from the brand or the retailer perspective, that's where things get a little tricky, right? It's like, okay, well, are you shopping for yourself or for someone else or for a different context? So that's where that data, I'm sure, really comes, really becomes handy, I guess, from a marketing perspective.
0: Absolutely. I mean, we all buy differently and we use different locations to do that. And if you use the data when I shop at Target and I'm grocery shopping and I realize I need to throw, some dinner wine into the cart or I'm shopping at Harris Teeter, I look very different to the person who's then going to the ABC store down the street from me to buy a top end tequila. I have different intentions and, and we all have this collage of intentions when it comes to our retail shopping decisions. And some of those are very ingrained and some of those are very uh, embedded in our psyche and some of those are really influenced by if I've got a dinner party and I want to show off some new whiskey I found, that's a, a decision that's going to be very much driven by what I see in the world around me versus kind of choices I make when I'm sitting home and wrapping up the night and talking with family. And I'm less worried about my social engagement and I'm more worried about just enjoying the moment right? and those things are affected differently.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Great, great points there. And I, I know we're, we're kind of at the tail end of our conversation today. But before I let you go, obviously, Mike, we don't have a crystal ball or, you know, magic tool to help us predict what's to come. But you've already shared some great insight around historical context and how that may lead to some new trends or, or realities for this particular category. But I do you want to ask you if there are any, any long-term implications for the market that we should touch on competitive dynamics, consumer behaviors, marketing strategies. I mean, I think we already hit on a lot, but this is kind of a speak now or forever hold your peace part of the conversation.
0: Right. Absolutely. And I think I've touched on this throughout the conversation, but we almost need to ignore COVID as hard as that may be to do because as a society, we're going to move through COVID and come out the other side. And our buying behaviors will be affected by that, but our buying behaviors are much more going to be affected by the much bigger long-term impact of digital transformation than we're affected by, by the effect of a pandemic, because it's an event in time. It's a, a black swan, but economists call it punctuated equilibrium. We're all going along fine. There's this big swing and big change, and then we start going along fine on a new plateau that new plateau is going to be about engaging consumers through ways that brands and retailers haven't been comfortable doing. So if I have any sort of long-term message, it's get comfortable with being uncomfortable and start understanding where digital fits in and where the digital shelf fits into what your strategy is.
1: I love that. And I think it really speaks to a lot of the high-level strategic conversations we've been having with experts around how executives and brand marketers can best adapt and respond. And a lot of folks hit on something very similar, Mike. It's don't be afraid to fail fast. Don't let perfect get in the way of good or good enough. And I think your point around be comfortable being uncomfortable is a good one because I think now is the time where we may have to make a decision, but we don't have the full set of data or the validation that we may typically want or, or need before we make such a choice. So thank you for, for that statement of wisdom. But anything else around closing thoughts or, or recommendations for the executives listening right now that you know may be trying to figure out how to chart their paths forward.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think the simplest thing to do is to try to understand the consumer and then build stories for unique consumers. Don't treat them as a monolithic group of alcohol shoppers. Really get into what makes different buyers different in your retail operations and and then address that locally. Address that where they are, where they live, where they work in and out of home, but address it on their mobile devices, address it through their web channels, because that's where they are. And that's how you're going to make the kind of gains you're looking to make.
1: Awesome, Mike. Thank you again so much for taking the time out. Um, Really fascinating topic, category. It's, It's funny because you think of... Liquor and spirits as something that's just kind of like a part of your shopping trip. And there are so many nuances, there's so much context there in um, how we make decisions in this category. So thank you so much for taking the time out to walk through those nuances and and even hit on some best practices along the way. I really appreciate you taking the time. Oh,
0: it's been my pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity to talk with you.
1: And as always, everyone out there, thank you so much for joining us for this fascinating conversation. Even if you're not in liquor and spirits, I, I do think there were some fantastic takeaways from Mike that all brand executives and marketers can apply or at least consider as they start to map out their strategies for the new year. As always, if you have any feedback for us, give us a shout on Twitter at our touchpoints. And if you haven't already, subscribe to the pod. We will send you an alert whenever new episodes are available, which is every week. Thanks again, everyone. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Remix. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up.